Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN, Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? You're trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. Uh, you could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night, whatever time of day it is, entrepreneurship and leadership channel listener on the MBN. Today we've got Greg Rosner with us. Um, Greg's waving for our YouTube audience and we'll say hello in a moment. He's the founder and CEO of Pitch Kitchen. But rather than me try to introduce him, Greg, why don't you introduce yourself the way you'd do it if you just bumped into someone you didn't know in a bar or at a business event? Right, I'm a Capricorn and my uh, favorite color is green. It's super valuable. No. Um, for everybody, We're, there's already value from the first minute. I'm a bit worried that the listeners are deserting the podcast in droves. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I guess I'm, I'm making a point. I'm making a, a shocking point is that, you know, too many uh, uh, pitches, as it were, like people say what they do. They they talk about like, oh, I'm, I'm a this or I, I provide this awesome solution that, that is just the best thing ever. And and we're a billion dollar whatever and and people just glaze over that They're like it's boring or it's just like okay whatever and i think uh part of the reason why i started this business is because uh uh well when i say uh i started this business i didn't say what business i started but uh i i left uh the corporate world uh to basically start a business that fixes bad sales presentations and boring home pages. Um, have you ever seen any of those? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm also I'm here with Keeman. And in fact, we, we met Greg through through Keeman, didn't we? I, I don't know. Um, Keeman, do you want to say how you got to meet Greg in the first place? Yeah, I've known Greg. Greg and I, I don't know when. I remember meeting at conferences. We were both in the translation industry and we met and we used to probably get attracted to each other because we were out drinking late and partying and stuff like that at the conference. So then we probably got talking to each other then. But anyway, yeah, Greg was, uh, you know, like a top um, guy in the industry. And, uh, well, you know, I just got to know him over the years. And I just, you know, over the years, what I remember, Greg, is you always had, uh, even though you worked working in companies, I think at the time mostly you had um, you always had entrepreneurial ideas. You had I, I remember the million. We talked about that the last time we talked actually. The million heads yeah. idea. You had a million heads the idea, million and then you actually yeah. yeah, millionheads.com. Yeah, million, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you also and you know and you quit your job to ultimately set up a business. So I just think that's first of all super brave and then very inspiring. Um, to people. And actually, I used, I actually also used your services after you, when you set up your company. And, um, and it is true. And, and I've always felt this, I actually feel like a kindred spirit. I think what you were trying to say at the beginning is that, you know, we felt when we talk to people, when we're selling, in fact, when you're selling to people, you're often just yeah. focusing on yourself. It's just like, yeah. I, me, 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 me. And I've, I've always tried when I talk to salespeople about like, you know, it's not, it's about the other person. It's understanding their problems and being yeah. able to say something that engages them. So I guess that's probably yeah. where you're. So like I'm, I'm writing this book right now. Uh, you know, Simon Sinek wrote this book called Start With Why. And my feeling is that nobody gives a shit about your why. Because uh, who cares? Uh, my book is called Start With The Problem because everybody cares about their problem. And, uh, you know, I think there's 12 conversations in sales that open minds and close deals, but starting with the problem is the way to go. So I think when you say like, you know, Richard, you asked me, like, what do I do? I like to say, well, I fix bad sales presentations and boring homepages that sadly make themselves the hero of the story instead of their customer. Have you ever seen any of those? And, you know, that's where it starts. Yeah, and, and I, I, I noted, I, I didn't immediately dive into that because um, obviously, you know, the you're like a good lawyer. You don't ask a question like that unless you know the answer. Of course, everyone's met people who don't know how to introduce themselves and everyone's seen loads and loads of really terrible sales presentations and you did the right thing of asking asking a question. So I, I think that for our listeners, we're definitely going to go into this in a bit of detail because 
You know, is, are there any entrepreneurs who don't need to sell, do you think? Uh, is that for me, that question? Yeah. yeah, I'm not interested in what Kimon has to say. <laughs> <laughs> are there any entrepreneurs that don't need to sell? Uh, well, first of all, uh, let's flip selling on its back end. What is selling? It's really, forget about who cares about selling. People are trying to solve problems and they need to, they need to, to buy something or change something. So uh, it's an entrepreneur is not an entrepreneur unless they're, not, they're solving a problem for somebody. So you don't even have to use the word sales. So if you're not solving a problem for anybody, you're not an entrepreneur. How's that? That's a, I think that, that we can use that as one of our slogans. I think that's absolutely perfect and it's completely correct. I, I, I want to backpedal a bit. I'm not totally disinterested in what Kimon has to say. I was just like <laughs> trying to... <laughs> Um, oh, you Kim, usually Kim, are. I mean, it's okay. I'm, I'm used to it. It's okay. Kimon, uh, I, I think this is an interesting way of looking. So really business people, they aren't selling anything. If they're good business people, they're, they're looking for problems they can solve profitably. Would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, what's a business for? I think so many people forget that their whole business is purpose, no matter how big it is, started at some point with trying to solve some problem for somebody somewhere, you know? Even Google, right? Solving a problem. How do people find stuff on the on the biggest web of computers ever? Big problem. Um, but I think what happens is it's natural for people to forget that they're in business to solve problems and to stay focused on the problems that they're solving. And they get involved with operations and features and functions of their solution and their product. And then they see their shiny competitors out there with uh, uh, solving the problems in different ways. And they get so trapped up with trying to differentiate themselves and how they solve the problem is more important or better than their competitors solving the problem. And from a customer's perspective, it's just like, um, I, I don't want to use the D word, but it's, it's a big distraction. That's the D word I'll use. It's a big distraction. Yeah. I mean, especially now post COVID, it's like there's very little competition out there uh, because uh, uh, people are, when I say little competition in so many businesses, uh, your biggest competition is not who you think it is. It's just the status quo. That's really what you're fighting against. How people are doing things today. That's that's the, the biggest competition, not the shiny, competitor yeah and if we jump into your business because I, as I understand it, you're helping people with their, their their home pages and their their pitches and I haven't looked into this in detail but I would imagine there's a lot of other companies out there that or consultants out there that are more or less in the same space you know that you didn't you didn't invent the idea of improving improving these things so how do how do people find you or how do you how do you differentiate yourself who whose problem are you solving in a better way than other people who, who might superficially sound as if they're doing the same thing as you? I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that question because, uh, you know, there's marketing agencies, there's sales enablement agencies, there's, there's people you hire to fix the, the design sales presentations and websites. And it's, it's not even like this competition. You can, you can do this yourself. You can design your sales deck. You can write your story. You can, do it all yourself. So it's not like I feel like I have any competition because the whole world is competition. So I don't focus on that at all. Does that make sense? Well, okay. So how I do you, how, it, it makes sense, but it makes it sound rather, rather challenging to be you. And you look, you, you, do, you don't look stressed out or miserable at all. You look like things are going quite well for you. You've got yeah. that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how, how do how do you, what's your, personal sales process? How do people find you? How do you I sell? Differentiate, I differentiate how I and how Pitch Kitchen solves their problem by how I solve that problem. So I just got off a call just before this uh, webinar. Well, not webinar. This, this what is it called? A podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Premier uh, excellent podcast. Oh. Yes, a, glo so, a, glo uh, a global smash up podcast, is it? <laughs> Global smash it pop, top 10 podcast. <laughs> so uh, this was a, a woman who's a CEO of a company that sells their solution to pharmaceutical companies. She heard about 
me because I produced a show on LinkedIn called Sales Therapy Show. And I had someone who she knows on the Sales Therapy Show. And I sent a message to all the CEOs that are connected to the person who I had on my Sales Therapy Show as a outbound sales process. And this person said, oh, so cool. I love what you guys are doing. Let's schedule a call. Then I got on the call with her and what I did was I basically shared my screen and I took notes of the conversation and I started to ask basic questions like, what problem do you solve? And she spent about 15 minutes trying to even describe that because it was hard for her. But that whole process that she recognized that, gosh, this is really hard for me to describe the problem that we solve. This person who I'm talking to is all he's doing is taking notes and clarifying what I'm saying is a huge value. So after what, 30 minutes of taking notes of what problem they solve, what solution they're selling to, who they're selling to, what her goals are, um, what happens if she does nothing in a month from now, which by the way, is probably one of the most powerful conversations you can have. Um, she told me at the end of that, that you have just demonstrated your ability to solve my problem by understanding what I'm, my problem is, by empathizing with my situation, and by showing me exactly how you're going to solve the problem. That was done in 30 minutes. So what is that, sales? I don't know if that's sales so much as like um, a therapy session. Mm. But that's how I di differentiate myself. So should, could, to answer your question, Richard, could she have gone to an agency and had that? Probably. Could she have you know, Googled you know, a website design? Of course. So there's, a, there's an infinite ways to solve that problem. But sometimes it happens through you know, outbound sales, which is making connections with people, getting them on phone conversations and demonstrating your ability to solve their problem. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think anyone who's selling, selling a service, I know that in the context of this podcast, we're not we're, who's solving a problem through a service that they provide, maybe, uh, they should take note of how Greg's doing it because having, having content on your LinkedIn profile that's relevant to the sort of people whose problems you can address is a very, very effective way of generating interesting leads if you do it well. Obviously, if do it incredibly badly and the impression people get when they watch your LinkedIn show is that it's you're a boring annoying person it's probably not going to generate any leads but that's well, hang on about that about that I don't think anybody's watching my my LinkedIn live show I mean it's a like you know a podcast there are a few people that watch it but I don't know that this person I just was selling to has ever watched the show even though I mentioned it mm -hmm. I don't think she's actually ever seen it but I think just by producing content and being, putting yourself out there with your purpose of what problems you're solving, that gives you credibility in and of itself. So you don't have to be stellar, you just have to do it. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna jump, uh, I wanna talk about, I, I definitely wanna spend some time today talking about um, the pitch and the sales process and what you do, because I was actually a client and actually I thought it was really interesting, but before we get to that, let's like just take a step back and maybe you can just tell us about like, how like how did you get started like just your tell us about your career path a little bit i mean just tell us about your journey basically like how did you start out yeah. what did you study <laughs> like what, what were you like or even like growing up yeah. were you were you entrepreneurial your whole life or were you like like what was your background like um just a bit about your your maybe childhood and and just like even younger years going up yeah i guess college. my my dad come to think of it he had uh went on an entrepreneur journey himself he quit his job when i was a child and started uh, a business putting high-end uh high fidelity sound systems and discotheques in new york city so <laughs> he actually became like the father of disco in new york and you can google him <laughs> he invented uh, like tweeter arrays for studio 54 and stuff so oh, i guess cool. i was inspired by my dad who saw a problem or need and you know thought that he could solve it and did and my brother is also has his own business. And so I think I, I come from a family who likes to figure stuff out on their own. Um, but my own personal journey was I went to design school, to art school, the best uh, art school in the world, Cooper Union. I got accepted to that, graduated. I think to get in, into Cooper Union, there's like 6,000 people who, who applied and like 64 got in and oh, wow. 34 graduated me so it's like more than harvard or navy seal it's like like it's an art school it's not military right. it's, it's art but still <laughs> it's really hard. it's really hard right so i i graduated from art school but then i was like well what am i gonna do with art like 
who wants to buy my art? So I like, well, commercial art, there's design, like, you know, there's, and this was even before Steve Jobs, there was Apple, I guess was around, but I guess I was inspired by beautiful things and uh, inspired by communication. So I was trying to figure out what, what am I going to do with that? And I wasn't very making much money doing commercial art at the time and graphic design. Sorry, so you so actually I, were working, uh, Greg, you're actually, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know this at all about you, so I, I'm actually interested. So th you're actually, you had a job, this was a job, you you were like working in, yeah. what were you doing? You were actually yeah. selling. I was working or, in an ad agency, great, great advertising, doing design for ads, like design. Oh, okay. But I was low man on the totem pole, someone that, who would give me like, here, use these words, use this logo and make it look, put lipstick on the pig, so to speak. And, and okay. I would do it. And then oh, the lipstick is all wrong. You have to use the wrong yeah. color. And I was really frustrated with that whole thing because I was so far down the, the chain of creativity that it right. frustrated me. And I was not successful in that. So someone told me that I should go into sales because I can speak and uh, because I would probably make a lot of money doing sales. So I, I got a job doing translation sales. Um, that was like an interesting thing. That, that's, good, that's, that's, good. That's, that's quite a jump. Sorry, that's quite a jump from giving up. Was that a painful, because we're quite interested in like the key moments in your life. And, you know, was that quite a painful thing to give up your, because like translation sales and being an artist or they're quite different, at least superficially. Maybe there's a hidden similarity. Ad agency, in ad agency design work and translation sales, that's a massive, like, did you speak other languages? Did you like, what made you go into that space? I mean, I remember it was actually an ad. It was a job posting for a translation sales person for a company called Trans Image. It doesn't exist now, but it was born out of some folks in Berlitz, I think, who thought to design communications, design visual communications and, and written communications. So it was culturally appropriate to like Japanese audiences and German audiences and Chinese. So this is when like whatever. And so that fascinated me because it was like combining the, um, the design portion, the visual part of selling with the language part. So that was fascinating. Like how do you design a brochure so the colors and the images are culturally appropriate? So that was the, the jump going from design to translation for me. Okay. And so how did you, how did you enjoy and so and I think you were in translation sales for a long time. Did you did you like that? Yeah. What was your what was your? Well, I I, I jumped into that, so I, I I liked it because I got good at it. I, I learned everything about it, and then I then I started to enjoy the whole selling process, which for me has always been like therapy, therapy not just because you're helping people be better in their jobs and in their careers, but therapy for me because it's like very satisfying to help people solve problems. So uh, I got good at it, and then I moved uh, on to um, uh, bigger translation companies, and then companies were acquired, and there's all sorts of uh, chaos in that space. But um, I think my most successful financial success, I had, I had an SDL, and that was really when I was uh, thinking, what's next? Um, because I was, um, I think the, the aha moment I got a really a problem that I can solve for salespeople was clear when I was uh, the, got the sales presentations that marketing would create that would give those decks, throw those decks over the wall mm -hmm. to salespeople. Here's our 15 slide sales deck. Go out and sell. Go out and make your number. And I'd look <laughs> at these sales decks, and slide one is like you know some pretty picture. Slide two again, yeah. lipstick on the pig. Slide two is um, you know all the logos that we work with. Slide three is like all our offices and how big we are, how awesome we are. And this stuff, not only did I gag when I looked at it, but I realized that the marketing people that made it thought that they were doing their job. They were promoting, they were selling. They were like, oh, let's just show yes. how great we are. And they're thinking that marketing was something that like, if you can scream the loudest, that you're a great marketer. And this was you know, already 10 years ago and marketing has changed so much since then where it's no longer how loud you can scream, but it is, um, it is how, how well you can connect with and have better conversations with your customers that have you, have you win. But I think this loud. is fascinating because you're discussing that, first of all, you, you mentioned SDL. SDL is a trans big translation company that got acquired, but it was actually publicly traded before. So I just wanted to emphasize this was a big company, basically. So they obviously had a big marketing department and they, were, they had a big sales team. And what's fascinating is that in big companies, 
you can have such a massive disconnect because they were just not on the front line. They did not know what the I, I suspect. I'm just this is what I'm just saying from listening to what you're saying is that they didn't know what the com what the client's problems were, or they weren't thinking about the client's problems. They were just no, like you know, like as you said, who can scream the loudest? Like we're big, we're shiny. Um, and, and, I, I just and, that, and indeed, there's something that anyone listening to this, no matter what business you're in, if you get to the scale of business, say things are going well and you've got marketing people whose job it is to deal with the brand and generating sales leads and the salespeople whose job it is to, to bring in the business or solve problems in such a way that clients emerge, worrying about... no pay a lot of attention between the interaction between sales and marketing because there's a, very often that's a can of worms. I don't, I don't want you to diss your former employers unnecessarily, but it sounds like things weren't perfect if they were giving you bad presentations and you weren't in a position to solve that. Well, it wasn't SDL's fault. I'm speaking about the, the pandemic of marketing, uh, what marketers are hired to market. They're going to wake up in the morning and market, market, market. What does it mean to market? I believe that sales enablement is the new marketing. It really, you need to enable sales to have the right conversations with customers. And that's not about promotion, that's about having several very specific conversations about their problems, about their goals, about their desired outcomes, and about the plan of how you're gonna get them from where they are today to where they wanna go. And these things that I'm just talking about were completely absent from any sales deck that I got from marketing from any company I've ever worked for. So having recognized this, saying, fuck this, I need to, I've got a quota on my back. I need to sell. Uh, I need to figure this out. I'm gonna use my design skills. Oh shit, this design skills that I got from Cooper Union, my, my advertising skills that I got when I worked in an advertising agency. I'm gonna combine all that with my knowledge of how to sell, which is how to have the right conversations. So I started to design slides as each slide is a conversation, almost like a deck of cards. You know, do we need to use the jack of clubs here to have a conversation about outcomes? Or do we need to use the ace of spades, which is a conversation about the problems? So I started to design slides for the company as I was with, and now then as a side hustle for companies to have very specific conversations. And these slides were totally killing it. They were winning because they were visuals that anchored the conversation, that facilitated the transformation of people's minds from what, what they were doing today to what they wanted to do. So it was really working. I started making money on the side and I got to a point where I started making more money doing that on the side than um, uh, and in stealth mode than like commission checks from selling translation services. So I... It was scary, uh, but I said, I'm gonna just do this. And uh, also I didn't have a good uh, month or quota. And I was like, oh shit, you know, uh, maybe I'm not gonna make as much money as I'd like here. So it was a pretty clear uh, option. So you were doing quite well because you had a you had a senior quite a senior a good position at SDL which was a one of the biggest companies in the industry and obviously you don't do you can't do badly at that job for long because you don't keep your job if you're in sales right so so you, you must have been doing quite well on your side sidekick and it wasn't that risky in a sense because you already you already had clients when you started right uh, well it's not like uh the clients are sort of churnable meaning like once you finish the project you need to hustle to get your next project. Um, so are you still there, by the way? Yeah. I think my uh -huh. screen just, it wasn't like I had, you know, steady cash cows to, to keep paying me. It was, it was a commitment to that. Hey, this life that I need to hustle for my next project is very similar to my last life to hustle, to get the next sale. Um, but every dollar that I earn is for me and my family so you just jumped in so basically you just took the plunge i mean you said look i'm gonna you know whatever this looks like a this looks like it's a promising um whatever opportunity and then you, you did it and then like so then take us from there so then then what happened you, well, I, uh, you, like what happens do you just did you have to invest money or did you just still sort of grow like gorilla as you call it stealth mode, like, or call it guerrilla tactics. I mean, you just kept it lean and then grew it up and yeah, talk to us about how long has it been actually? Give us this also sense of like, when did this happen? And maybe how big you are now? What scale yeah. you're at now? Four years, 
four years, and uh, I'm uh, I'm about running at about a. Uh, oh, my goal for 2021 is to be at a million dollars of business. So, nice. Yeah, uh, and I have one uh, copywriter and one designer, and a project manager and an accountant. Everybody else is is freelance. Okay. And I'm happy to grow more than that, uh, but I'm also happy not to grow more than that. So. And so you got, so basically what's the typical, cause this is what I, this is for me, like the interesting, the conversation, one of the conversations I really want to have with you, but like, then let's just open it up by like, what's the typical problem? Like you sort of described um, what the therapy that you just did, like before this, that you helped the lady understand yeah. the problem. I know what you did with us, but like, maybe you can just talk a little bit about what your typical, um, what's your typical client like and, and what's the typical process look like? Sure. Typical client is a CEO. I only work with CEOs of companies that already recognize the problems that we're talking about, that their homepage may be pretty, but it's not working. It's not working to, to, to convert. Uh, their sales presentation uh, may be uh, nicely designed, but it's not working to have them have the right conversations, them or the salespeople. So we, uh, there's a th there's really three things that we offer. The first is a story, uh, strategic story, which is critical for them to clarify what it is they're selling, who they're selling to, what problem they're solving. And we, uh, we put that in something called a brand script. Uh, Donald Miller from StoryBrand calls it a brand script. We also uh, took on something from Andy Raskin, who uh, I think if you Google best sales deck in the world, you'll see uh, some of his uh, advice about a formula for uh, telling a great story. And so his, his formula is typically, uh, well, I would say foundationally, to contrast the old world against the new world. Uh, the old way or the status quo way versus the, the way it could be. Like and so before, before and after stories, before basically. After, yeah, that's very, very powerful storytelling there. So we combine both the Donald Miller approach with the uh, Andy Raskin approach to we have a, a way to use those rubrics to develop a story formula, story, story uh, basis for the homepage, for the sales presentation, so that allows salespeople to have great conversations that position themselves as the trusted advisor, trusted guide in the transformation story of how people are doing things today to how they could be doing things or what they're doing things, how, what they're doing today versus what they could be doing. That's a transformation story. And if you're selling, you need to position yourself as a guide, um, an advisor in helping that person, that, that CEO or that customer transform. And, I, and I would, I would, I would, I'd imagine, sorry to interrupt, but I'd imagine that the CEOs you're dealing with might be sort of 10, 20, 50, 100 person companies as a, because obviously the CEO of Coca-Cola or Boeing, you know, the question is the web page working for A, the CEO of Boeing, actually she or he might be involved in the sales process, but it's a slightly different, different proposition of a really big company to a CEO who's actively involved in sales, I would imagine. Right. Right. So Andy Raskin, I know, works with CEOs of those large companies. I work with CEOs in mid, small, medium sized companies, not the not the billion dollar companies, but companies that are either, you know, 10 to $50 million in revenue. And they're just, they're chicken scratching to get to the next level. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 as I mentioned multiple times here, I actually uh, used your services and, you know, the way you described that, I'm not sure that people, like it, it sounds kind of abstract, but actually this really is important. And I want to talk a little, I want to draw a little more attention to it because I think it's really, really good. Like you mentioned a couple of things there. First of all, the concept of the guide um, that we become the guy, we, the company, we, the salesperson become the guide and, uh, and we help. And it's basically, we need to understand the path that are, where are our clients going and what is, what is their story as well. And we're trying to guide them along that path. Right. And I so think that, that that's, that's very, very powerful. And it was very different. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Let's go back to where we started. You said like, where, where, what do you do? What's your pitch? And that's the problem with most sales pitches. Most, uh, most people don't think of themselves as the guide when they're selling. They don't think of themselves as the helper. 
they think of themselves as the hero of the story. You know, if you exactly. look at all types, there's there's a there's you know villain, there's victims, there's heroes, there's guides, there's nemesises, there's you know comedic sidekicks. So in the whole in the story that you're telling for your business, who are you? What's your place? What's your position? And what story are you telling? These are this is a really important conversation to have because if you tell the wrong story for you to your salespeople, everyone's telling different stories. Nothing's going to happen. Right. Be no, but you but listen, I mean, first of all, I love this and you, you maybe you can talk about this a little bit, but like you actually have gave examples about movies, but like we sorry, companies generally are positioning themselves as the hero. Yeah. But the hero is the client. And that's really something you talked about and you you drew our attention to. And I think that's really interesting. Um, so, yeah, just like maybe yeah. you want to talk a little bit about how yeah, sure. so, I think, like I think uh, you use Star Wars. I think you use Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan when we were doing it. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, for sure. So, uh, you know, when you watch a movie and what you love about a movie like Star Wars, for example, is you identify with different characters, the story who you like, who you don't like. But it's it's a people love transformation stories. They go to the movies because there's something about their lives that in our lives, let's say, you know what, I'm facing you know, challenges in my life. I'm facing problems, and but I'm the hero of my own story. I, you know, I, I wanna be able to overcome these challenges and be better. Everyone is looking to grow. Everyone is looking to be better. Every organization is looking to grow and be better. So every organization sees themselves as the heroes of their own stories. That's, that's natural, that's perfect. Now, if you're selling though, if you're in you're a business that you're helping other organizations be heroes, then you better get clear that you're not the hero of their story. You better get clear. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to have sales presentations that, by the way, look like the ones that I got from SDL, which are slide after slide about how awesome we are, which totally. nobody cares about. And there's an issue here. There's a great, I don't know if you knew Jerry Lynch, who was a really important, ever retired quite recently, a really key guy in, in Argos Multilingual. And I remember him talking about how the importance of building confidence. And he said, you need to get to a situation when you're with a client where at some stage you say, what you need is this to help you solve your problem. But unless you're trusted by the client, yeah. to be that guy, a guide who might lead you astray as a terrible guide. And you know, we live in a world where there are bad actors out there. So right. a couple of questions follow up on that. How do you advise people to get that confidence? And do you ever say no to a client if you basically feel that they're actually trying to sell something that yeah. so, you know it's best yeah. not to sell? Yeah, challenger sale is great, if you, and, but it only works if you have that trust and rapport. And you only get that trust and rapport by being empathetic. And really saying things and really connecting with, you know, you, your organization really deserves, you know, you've got great products. Yeah, we do have great products. Your organization really deserves to have what you're looking for. You know, really, yeah, we do. We do deserve. So if, if you can really connect empathetically with people and get like what Chris Voss, who wrote the book, Never Split the Difference, ex-FBI hostage negotiator says, get a that's right from your statements of connection, statements of empathy then that is the foundation to then go to the next step, which is telling them what they need. Almost like a, you know, a doctor empathizing with a problem of a patient. Yeah, I was just going to say for our listeners, we'll try and put a list of these different book references that Greg's making in the, uh, in the show notes. So if you drop these over to us afterwards, we can put those all together because I think you don't have to write it down if you don't want to, if you're listening. If you're driving at 130 kilometers down, down an autostrada in Poland, please don't write things down with your one hand on your phone. Yeah, it's a great book by Chris Voss. I'm not sure if you read it, Never Split the Difference, How to Negotiate Like If Your Life Depends on It. He's an ex-FBI hostage negotiator. And I learned more about empathy and connecting with people from that book than I have in, in any business book, strangely enough. Um, and he was negotiating the lives of people on the line where they're cutting fingers off, you know, unless they get oh my God. millions of dollars. And so how do you negotiate with people that are about to do that stuff? And he talks a lot about the power of getting a that's right from people. And the power of, uh, yeah, getting a that, getting that's right. Does that make sense? Getting I think that's right. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the, as you said, it's the foundation. You're talking, calling that the foundation. Then you can build off of that. So, 
like in your experience with salespeople or how, because you're talking, we're talking about the you know, tools that help salespeople, but do you find salespeople are like um, robotic? Like, like how, how much of this, even if you give the tool, I'm just wondering, even if you give them the tools of a great pitch deck and a great story, or like, how do you convert the, because you know, there's one job here that we're talking about, right? Is like this awesome concept, conceptual things. Like I'm going to create a story. This is going to yeah. be great. We're going to teach, we're going to guide them along and all that. But, but then you have a team of salespeople that have to actually execute on that. And do you find that a challenge? Like in how much of your work is actually yeah, then so, trying to uh, convert from the marketing, from the pitch to the actual uh, implementation so, of this? There are three things that Pitch Kitchen does. First is the strategy, which is the brand script and the story. The second is the design of the homepage, the sales presentation, some collateral. And the third is the training. And I have to say for companies that we deliver the first two to, um, I would say out of 10 salespeople, there'd be six salespeople, maybe five salespeople that get, get this presentation. They look at it, they're like, oh, the shit, this is great. I can run with this. I can use these slides to have the conversations that I need in order to make my sales. There are gonna be two to three salespeople out of 10 that are gonna be like, wait a minute, uh, this doesn't like, this doesn't look like a brochure. There are no page numbers. I wanna <laughs> send this to people. And if I send this to people, they're not gonna know what they're looking at. And so they won't really get it because they won't really understand that they'll think that what they're getting is another website. Like, no, no, no. This is a presentation. If you want to send something to someone, send them to your homepage. That actually should have the story. And if you're embarrassed to send people to your homepage, well, that you've got a bigger problem, right? That's outside of sales. But salespeople should be so proud to send their customers to their homepage, which should have everything that their customer needs to understand and get to the first conversation with the salesperson so that they're far along the process, uh, the, the buying process. The slide should help pick up that conversation and allow the salesperson to facilitate deep discovery and get a that's right from their customer. It should facilitate those conversations. So those two salespeople out of the 10 will need some discussion to like, okay, and they'll be like, okay, I get it now. And then they're off to the races. But then I think you're going to have two or three salespeople out of the 10 that really are going to need some training or some firing. I'm not sure which. Uh, one of the two. No, you're, you're, you're using, you're, you're using, I appreciate the fact you're using direct language because sometimes people, you know, dance around these things. They're looking for career development outside the organization or whatever, and <laughs> that means firing, right? Yeah, but they, I, I think this is like super interesting what you're talking about, that basically you're asking, what you're saying is the job of the salesperson is to have a conversation. The job of the salesperson is not to send an email with a bunch of information. Yeah. You see, people need information, drive them to the website, but then re whatever, have your website regurgitate these people back out as people that want to have conversations. Yes. Um, and then you're using the, the decks and that's where the struggle is. You're giving them the, you're giving these salespeople what they're used to is, you know, uh, this is who we are. This is how big we are. This is, yes. <laughs> <what> the, <laughs> and yeah, so that's, that's, uh, I don't know. That's why I call you know, it sales, yeah, sales enablement. Sorry. Sales enablement yeah. is a better word than marketing, I think. And, and how do you feel about the sales process when the, there's no human involved? I, I'm going to be mentoring a, a company next week, which is making explainer videos. And I, I, for me, for me, they know exactly what an explainer video is. And I was, querying exactly what that meant but i think their basic idea is that somebody goes onto the homepage, can watch a video and like actually get from that video almost to the point of buying or you go to amazon.com you actually yeah. buy without talking to a human being at all and do you, do you do you feel that can you make can you make a can you service people who would like to achieve sales without a human involvement uh well sure um yeah, I mean, that's what a homepage could do. But I think it comes down to the product itself. If the product, in order for someone to be successful with the thing that you're selling, in order for them to be successful, you need to configure, explain, process, deploy, service, customize. If any of those things are required for your customer to be successful, there's no way in hell someone's going to go on your website, watch an explainer video, and purchase. 
that makes yeah, sense if you're to hoping me. To, if you're hoping to, if you're hoping to sort of, uh, I don't know how, yeah, if you're hoping to like replace the salesperson with an explainer video, that's like, that's, that's not going to happen. I don't think for most complex, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, maybe there's some super simple widget that you need to sell. I I just was like, yesterday I, I bought a laptop. All right. But I didn't buy it on the web. I bought it over the phone with Apple. And I had a human being actually talk to me about the options on the laptop. I enjoyed the exchange. It was great. I bought the laptop. But of course, I could have went and bought it online. Mm. So I think there'll always be some buyers, even in a, in a world where laptops are for sale, where you can, of course, buy it on a credit card. We are living in a world where there are going to be customers that want to have an experience with a human being to buy something. Totally. I mean, we're talking. We're, we're we're three three guys, you know, white men in their fifties who are sort of coming from a certain generation. There may be people half our age who say, "Hang on a moment, they're wrong," and we could be wrong. There might be a way of doing this that doesn't work this way. But I, I yeah, certainly yeah, complex. I'm sticking. I I, I agree. I. I totally complex things need human uh, I interaction. I totally, I totally agree. I totally agree that I think you're. Correct, and the idea of someone buying some enterprise resource planning software like SAP without without talking to a human being—I mean, you're talking mission critical products and services for your company—it's highly unlikely you'll just buy that without. It's even more complex than that. It's it's not just uh, does it need to be service configured, explained, um, customized. It is how many people does it touch in order for it to be successful, and how many people need to be involved in the in the decision to make this change of how they're doing things today versus how they should be doing things. It, you know, that's the job of a salesperson to help all those people get on board with that change, to facilitate that change. Mm, totally. And th so this, Greg, where do you want to, yeah, sorry. sorry. I was just going to say, this, this is one of the opportunities that people have who work in larger corporations that you come across problems. For example, Greg came across the, the problem of sales presentations by working as a sales guy in a large company, which didn't have very had ones that could be better. I'm sure they weren't bad by the standards of the industry. They just the standards weren't that good. But you know, sometimes you see things about the way things work, and particularly in B2B sales, as a consumer, you don't necessarily understand the way things work. And sometimes, astonishingly, in 2021, the way things work is really lamentably, lamentably bad, which is bad at one level. And on the other level, there are plenty of opportunities to start businesses that address problems that other people may not be aware of. Sure. Where do you, uh, let's say two questions about the future. One, your personal journey, like where do you want to take this? Um, what are your goals with this, uh, with this, with this business? And maybe the second question about what's the future of sales? I'm going to get that. Those, that's a huge, those are huge. I mean, the second one is a huge one, but let's start with the first one about pitched kitchen and then we can see yeah. about the second. So, um, uh, organically growing is how I basically done things. Uh, and hustling to find business on LinkedIn and doing outbound emailing. But I'm experimenting now with, um, uh, I would say, Facebook ads and webinars to get people to that first conversation and get people to that first conversation where they're more uh, clear about um, their own problem and they're clear about what it, my company would do to help them solve that problem. So my goal is to have that first conversation that I have with customers to be not really about sales, but really about uh, specifically how brainstorming, how we're gonna help them solve their specific problems, um, almost like a doctor patient kind of relationship. Um, that's my goal. And so that's what I'm actively investing in now so that I could scale up Pitch Kitchen to the place that I wanted to, to make it. Um, I don't have huge, I don't need to be a $50 million company, but I want to be uh, big enough to employ the people who I love working with and um, can help a lot more businesses, a lot more CEOs uh, be more, be successful and close more deals. And then would you sell it? Would you sell it? I mean, obviously, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, you're, you're in your mid fifties, so you've presumably people don't retire as at the age they used to retire, but you, you presumably would you carry on doing know. this for decades, or do, do you just? I can't, I can't even think that far. I'm, 
I'm, I'm not even thinking like that. I just want to create this vision I have of a company doing great things for great companies and um, take it from there. Mm. Um, have, a, have a view to sell it. And Kimon asked about the future of sales, which is a very simple question. So I'm sure you can just dash off an answer to what's going to happen to sales. Are there going to be bots? Are there going to be people? Like, uh, are, are we going to have AI replace, uh, you know, replace uh, the humans? I mean, we just talked about the fact that there's no explainer videos, but we didn't discuss um, the future, like the future yeah. future. So uh, I have a bunch of different ideas about this. Uh, of course, uh, any task that can be repeated will be done by AI. Any task, and you look at this, even the task that the salesperson does, um, those, a lot of those tasks are being automated. So I think, of course, the future of sales and salespeople is, is great because I think getting back to what your customers want most, your customers want to be heard. They want, they want to talk to someone who really understands their problem and empathizes with them. And that's not going away. And when I say that's not going away, the, the customers can't really tell the difference between your product and the product that somebody else is selling. You look at it like, I'm going to flash this. I'm like, you know, is this an iPhone or is this a Samsung? Can't really tell. I mean, at a distance, all products pretty much look the same so that you're going to differentiate yourself, not by what you're selling, but by how you're selling it. And are you really connecting on an emotional level with your customers? And do they feel like, do they feel like they can trust and they feel comfortable that you understand their problem and through working with you and your organization, you're going to help them solve that problem that that's the job of a salesperson and that's not going away for sure. I have one, um, I'm conscious of the time, but I have one that I want to, that I think we need to touch on because we've been talking about sales and pitches, but one of the things that you're sort of, I think you're like sort of a guru in and that you've, you've is because in, in actually promoting your own business, you've gone out there and like you've become a like a, a late, I, I don't I, I don't are you a LinkedIn influencer? I mean like you're oh, a very no. well you're a very very sort of active person on LinkedIn, and I think that you've embraced uh, the modern that you've come from this traditional let's say uh, sales world, but yeah. now you've set up your own business, and I think you've embraced a very modern way of promoting your business, and I, you know, I know that you do uh, a a show on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I know you're extremely active on LinkedIn. I, I don't know where else you, you mentioned Facebook, but maybe you can talk a little bit about how you, um, you sort of touched on this throughout, but like, maybe you can talk a little bit about your, you know, what you think about this. And so you got like a like small business and how do you get this thing out there in the yeah. world, in the modern world, basically? Yeah. So my playbook on LinkedIn, I, I learned a lot from some great people. Like uh, I learned from Jake Dunlap, uh, is a great person to follow. He's a consulting sales consulting company called Scaled Consulting. Also, uh, Joe Applebaum on LinkedIn. I learned a lot from him. But I think that on LinkedIn, you can pick up some nuggets of gold and some playbooks, uh, some techniques and some approaches so that you could um, meet your goals on LinkedIn. My goals on LinkedIn are to really three things. One, two, establish myself in the tribe of B2B companies as the go-to person to, to talk about uh, revamping your homepage and your story so that it connects better with customers. And so the sales therapy show was an idea I had to invite CEOs to talk about the problems, talk about problems that sales leaders have and CEOs have, and also the problems that they solve for their customers. So it's like a problem-centric conversation. So I want to be known for that in this tribe on LinkedIn. So my show doesn't get many views, but it's uh, almost like a, a meditation. It's like something I just do. And I think maybe over the next five years or 10 years, it will start to bear fruit. But it's already bearing fruit now. Like the, the opportunity I had just early mm -hmm. this morning came from some of the activity that I did uh, around that show and outbound. So. But what no, else? I'm kind of, I mean, I'm, sorry, I'm just. I was going to yeah, say, I'm, I'm kind of get, get, Yeah, I mean, we're, 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 I'm not getting off topic. I'm just trying to get a sense of the scale that you've got. If you're aiming for around a million dollars revenue this year, I'm imagining that your sort of typical client might be twenty, fifty, seventy k dollars. You, there's a level below which, and you're selling to CEOs who are so. And the, where I'm going with this is that you can afford to put quite a lot of 
effort into each sale and because and if you're selling things that cost 500 bucks each there's a limit to how much you can spend in terms of time and resource on bringing people in can you talk about your typical to, to average project size and what and like if someone's listening i think oh i want to hire greg and it turns out they've only got 500 dollars. presumably they're not for you right right no so uh it goes back to how much value uh what is it they're selling so typically the ceos that we work with are selling products or services or solutions that cost at least 50K, at least. And if they have five salespeople, that means, you know, that's 250K a month if they're having one deal per month uh, or 10 deals per month. And, um, but that's just one deal. Let's say that customer is 50K, but the lifetime of that customer could be like, you know, 200 to 500K. So, those that's the companies that we work with at least 50k but averaging about about that maybe 100k um so if that's what they're getting so they're spending to they're spending with us to nail down their story nail their message nail their sales presentation get their salespeople up to speed nail their homepage so that's converting more people to get into the conversation they're going to be spending uh, to do all that work somewhere between 25 to 50 k And, uh, you know, our competitors, you know, charge a lot more than that. But, you know, Duarte charges just for a sales presentation about 60 k um, Andy Raskin, I think, charges about 75 k just for the story, just for the messaging. So, you know, we have a package that's, you know, I think appropriate for small, medium-sized businesses. So, yeah, I want to get so, back to yeah. Sorry, go, go ahead. No, go, 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 go. I think no, we, no. I was just going to say ta- you've already taken it away from mine. So go ahead, finish. No, up no, that, that, yeah, I'll, I'll keep on. My, so, <laughs> so you know, 50 k per customer when they when they come on board. So you can put a lot of your your cost of acquisition is quite hard to measure. Do you measure your cost of acquisition like how much it costs you to bring a It's quite tricky in a medium sized small business, isn't yeah, it? To so measure. because a lot of the work uh, has been organic. Uh, and like spending a lot of time on LinkedIn and making, creating relationships with people. I have not measured that and it's hard to measure that. But since I'm now moving to a Facebook uh, funnel model, it'll be very clear. Like, okay, I spent, you know, $500 for this acquisition, you know, that'll be clear. But right now I'm, I'm not measuring it that way because it's all very, um, it's, a, it's almost like a labor of love to get the business I'm getting organically because I'm spending a lot of time myself uh, making outreach. Mm. Yeah, I just want to go back to what I was, what I was, because I'm, I'm trying to, because I think it's really valuable if you're a, if you're setting up a small business, you're a small entrepreneur, and you're setting up to hear how do you. So you mentioned Facebook. Uh, sorry, you mentioned LinkedIn, the show, but like, what's your like? What would be your advice to some? small business, somebody who's just setting up their business or has a small business, you know, they don't have massive budgets. Like what's the best use? Where do they get the most bang for their buck? What's the most best use of it? And, and let's say that I don't want to, let's say we're sticking with that you're in your space, like you're sending, sending some kind of consulting. It's kind of a service, like pretty much in your sort of space that you can sell to these medium sized companies. I think there's a, that's a big piece of the entrepreneurial whatever uh, universe. So. Yeah, uh, I don't really know that I have like a generic outreach formula that works. I don't really know if I have that to offer anybody. Um, I know what I have to offer is to get really clear on your anthem, your your platform. Like what what is your what are your three words, for example? What is your make America great again? What is your uh, you know whether you like or hate Donald Trump? Those five words got him elected. It starts with a verb and it calls his people to action. So what is your three to five word story that starts with a verb and calls your people to action? I think that's really important to have because once you have that, then that could cascade all the content that you write, all the stories that you're putting out there, all the, the emails that you're sending outbound. It's anchored on a singular uh, message, a singular story that calls your people to change. And I think th- that's what excites me about helping people with that, because then no matter what strategy you decide on LinkedIn or outbound email or whatever, you've got your, you, you've nailed your story. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But I don't know, Kimon, if I have like, you know, a recipe for how to be like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more like um, what tools should I use? I mean, I love the Make America Great Again. That's a brilliant piece of advice. I thought that's an awesome, like that's a distilled thing. I was sort of going after, um, do I use LinkedIn? How do I use LinkedIn? Do I use Facebook? Is Facebook any valuable? Like, I mean, I'm just sort of like, what do I do if I want to get people to pay attention to me? Am I making content? Am I doing podcasts? Am I doing yeah, what, so, what, look, like, I, what should I, I do? I have not, I can't say that I have had success. I, I've, I basically look at it as failure. Um, with all the work <laughs> that I've done on LinkedIn and putting messages out there and connecting with people and the content, I think it's an it's an epic failure because I don't see any good return on all that time. I don't. Okay. So I don't I don't have advice for anybody about what the strategy is. I do it because I enjoy doing it. I feel like it's like a long game I'm playing, and uh, it's a fingers crossed strategy. And I don't want to give anybody a fingers crossed. Okay, I think you're right though. I mean, like uh, Richard, uh, I have to go back to your. Um, I think you said Marshall. The guy who owns this channel that we're on or runs or set up the company NBN, um, didn't you say that like the key is like at least for podcasts, it, it's actually longevity. It sort of is what you're saying, uh, Greg. It's like being around. It's not that there was the flash in the pan that I spent six months on this. It's actually I've been doing this for a very long time. I don't know, Richard. Do you want to comment on what that? Yeah, sure, sure. Was, we have a lot of discussions about how to market podcasts, and it's very hard to market podcasts. And and what Marshall and he's been doing it for thirteen years, and is you know number one in the world for sort of academic book review podcasts. What we're doing is a slightly broadening the channel things that NBN does. But he says you and if you go onto the internet and you start doing something well and you stick at it for five to seven years, you'll be one of the best people in the world doing that thing because most people try it for a bit and they give up. And putting out good quality content consistently and you know, but the key is good quality you have to know what you're talking about and you know it may be your audience is different from Seth Godin's and Seth Godin's a great man and he's got very interesting insights about marketing and he's got a huge audience but you need to find your voice and find your audience don't you because there might be other ways of approaching this that other people do with success as well right yeah yeah no find your voice and find your audience and that's really hard to do and uh, I think that's often what I help people figure out because it's almost like, you know, even myself, I'm, I'm hiring a coach now for the development of this Facebook uh, campaign. <clears throat> and I need an outsider to help me uh, see my blind spots about how I'm talking about the work that I'm doing. And I think that's always very healthy for us to do as business owners to, uh, to get that advice. So, um, yeah. We're coming towards the close of our time. A couple of questions. And one, one thing I'd draw attention to, you talked about failure, that it's really important, particularly if you're doing quite well, not to get arrogant. And note that Greg is doing well. He's got clients, he's on track, and he's not completely happy with the way things are. And you know, the smug, self-satisfied self entrepreneur quite often isn't neither a very attractive person to hang out with nor is destined for success that you know you know that it's not perfect and that's actually quite a healthy situation to be in which brings me on to two final questions which is um do you see yourself as a lucky person did you did, like to get to this situation were you lucky and also are you competitive do you benchmark yourself against like other people and think i'm you know well i'm not doing as well as them and it bugs you or are you quite just happy doing your own track and what other people get up to doesn't matter to you at all yeah interesting i think i've always considered myself to be so lucky and so grateful i've been through such shit in the last year and a half we've all been through COVID has really you know screwed our lives up in so many ways mine in particularly going through uh divorce and now i'm creating a new family so lots of chaos there uh, but i can you know I'm so blessed. I'm so lucky. I have great health and surrounded by people who love me in spite of my, uh, uh, who, who I really am. So, uh, so they, 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 love they me. might, they might listen to this podcast. So they, that, that might flag a few questions, you know, they love me in spite of who I am. So, uh, I, I, I'm blessed to, to, to have that in my life and, and be healthy and all that. Sure. And I do consider myself lucky. So, yeah. About your second question, um, I think when I worked at SDL, like you know, Timo, when I worked as a salesperson, um, 
I, I saw some really good salespeople. I worked with some great salespeople there. And I, I never really considered like competition, whether they're other salespeople, competition, or even now, I feel like it's the same way. I don't consider some of my quote competitors to be competitors because I really feel like we're all so unique in how we sell. Even the people that I sold shoulder to shoulder against, we were all so different, you know, as people. Um, and that we all had our different approaches to selling and the different kinds of customers that we would be winning in. You know, just to be specific, some were winning with pharmaceuticals and some were winning with high tech or manufacturing. And so each of us were sort of gravitating towards our own niches. So um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I don't really uh, feel like. Uh, yeah, um, no, you didn't. Yeah, you didn't feel I would say the answer would be you didn't feel like you were like. That wasn't a driving force for you. No. Was the, 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 the competitors. Okay, so let's start to wrap it up. Uh, need to say thank you. Let's start with thanking all the people that joined and listened to Greg today. It's took an hour of their lives and, 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 and spent it with us and got to know Greg and his story. I hope we learned something particularly about, I think the sales and marketing piece is like super, super interesting here. Um, my daughter, Magda Fontakidis, she does the actual video editing. She does the teaser and all that stuff. So shout out to her. Um, Magda Buiskost, who is our high school 17-year-old uh, intern who does PR and promotion. Everybody at NBN who actually does the technical stuff to get this up and running and helps promote this. Um, and, uh, you know, if you like this, please subscribe uh, at NBN, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And obviously, share, like, click, super like. This is awesome um, when you get a chance. And obviously, Greg, thank you. I've known you for a long time. I've learned, I learned obviously a lot about you here today. And I'm just, I think you're, a, I think you have an inspiring story. And, I, and, and particularly your insights into sales, I think are, are super valuable for anybody that wants to get into the business. So thanks, thanks for taking thank the time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kimo. Thank you for those, those warm-hearted uh, feelings. I feel them. I feel you, bro. And, and Richard, so nice to see you again. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure.